You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. We, this morning, are finishing our series on the way. We looked at the statement, we've been looking at the statement that Jesus made in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he exclaimed that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one can come to the Father except through me, we saw that he is the way, and the way to God is by abiding in him because he is the vine. We've looked at a lot of the I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. He is the, the vine, meaning that we are to remain in him so that we can bear spiritual fruit. We gave you a three by five index cards to practice three spiritual disciplines for five minutes a day. Three by five, three times five, 15. Did you, did you get that? They're still available, by the way, if you need one. Just a helpful guide so that we can abide and be with God as we do, do life along the way. And then we saw that he is the truth, that he is the light of the world. We looked at that statement and how we are to know the truth and also walk in the truth, meaning in the light. What is God asking us to give to him the darkness that he is calling us to bring into the light. And then last week we looked at that he is the life, the resurrection and the life, that we can have resurrection power right now. We don't have to wait till we're in heaven, but we can experience that hope that has been given to us by God's Holy Spirit living and indwelling in us. This morning, we're going to look at this final statement, probably one of the most difficult things to really come under as Christians, that he is the only way to God, that there's only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus. And you may be like me. I remember when I was really struggling with this truth. God, are you really the only way? What about people that try really, really hard and do more good things than bad? Or in my compassion, I thought, what about that gentleman or that lady over in the Amazon or in the desert in Africa that passes away before they come to know Jesus? What about them. And here's what I have found and have found great peace in. First thing that I want to share with you this morning, and that is that you and I are not the judge. We don't have to worry about other people. What we are to worry about is our own life. Do we really live and believe that Jesus is the only way? And here's the thing in our series, we've looked at these through the scope and the lens of hardship and trouble, because that's how Jesus said this statement in John 14, 6, through the lens of trouble. In John 14, verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, meaning that if we really believe that he is the only way. He will comfort us through trouble. A lot of times we think that, no, God wants to take away all the fun 
from my life. And God wants me to do a bunch of things that I don't want to do. And it's not going to be enjoyable. And, and he's going to withhold from me. And I'm going to be the odd one out when I'm with the group and not talking the way that other people are talking or not drinking as much as other people are drinking or not making the same decisions as other people are making. The truth is, is that if you are in Christ, you are called to stand out and be set apart. One of my favorite places to go hiking with my family is Enchanted Rock. It's a big old rock by Fredericksburg. And when you reach the top, it's great triumph and you know, it's real steep. And so it really hits the calf workout. And once you get to the top, you have an opportunity to check out these boulders on the back end. And these boulders, there's actually a cave system that goes through them. And uh, it had been a while since I'd been. And so we hit the boulders and I'm like, man, where is the cave and boom, found the cave, a narrow opening that gets narrower and narrower and narrower. Disclaimer, if you choose to go through the cave, make sure you wear a headlamp and you're not totally afraid of spiders or if so, just be ready to conquer your fear of spiders. It is narrow in there and tight and sometimes we think, oh, that's what it's like. I am, I'm just, I'm going to follow Jesus and my life's going to be boring and dull and tight. In fact, this is how Jesus said it is like in Matthew chapter seven. He makes this other bold statement. He says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. When we were there at Enchanted Rock and we found the narrow way, many did not want to go in. Few wanted to enter it. Why? Because it knew it was going to cost us a great deal of flexibility, at least for 15 minutes. And we were going to have to conquer some fears. There was a cost to going in. And the same thing is true when we follow Jesus. There is a cost. We are to deny ourselves to take up our cross, to no longer live by the sin that so easily entangles us on a day-to-day -day basis. We're to put that away and focus on following the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's a lot like that cave. The deeper you go, the closer you are to the abundant life that Jesus offers us. It may seem sad or bad in the short term, but the deeper you walk with Jesus, the longer you go, you have an opportunity to live that abundant life that he gives. That's what he promises us in John chapter 10, where he says there is a thief and he's going to come to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life abundant, have it abundantly. Jesus wants us to get to the other side of that cave and say, I made it. It is awesome. And we get to experience that abundant life right now. You see, there's many thieves. A lot of times we think about the enemy as the thief, and he is a thief for sure. And he came to kill, steal and destroy. But in context, Jesus is actually calling out these false teachers, these teachers that are veering other people to go a different way than Jesus's way. And so I want to talk about other ways for just a moment, because there's a lot of them. We have the freedom of choice, narrow, 
wide. I want to start with some religions and then I want to get a bit more specific. Hinduism is one of the oldest religions in humanity. And in Hinduism speaks, uh, tells that there are multiple gods and we can also have multiple lives here on earth. It's called reincarnation. And depending how we lived our prior life is how we will reincarnate. So if you do really good, you get that eagle, that butterfly, or your favorite animal, dolphin, penguin, whatever. Unless you don't want to be cold, you don't want to be a penguin. If you do bad, you end up like that fly or mosquito or a poor uh, person in poverty, something like that. You reincarnate based on the merit of your past life. You can also summon spiritual favor from any God, including Jesus. They would include Jesus as a God of their many. And you can sacrifice to them and pray to them and give alms and money to them. That is Hinduism. And then there is Buddhism. Buddhism believes that there is no God. The ultimate goal is enlightenment or nirvana. And that is when we detach from our desires. So basically we get to a point where we don't want anything. We just meditate and sit and are fully present, void of any want here on life. And, and that will lead us to an abundant life or enlightenment, etc. Here is the irony of Buddhism in the, their scriptures, Buddha writes, it's more important to live in a responsible, ethical way than to worship anything. And this is the irony. There are more statues of Buddha than any other human in the history of, and that's actually, I think for a reason, because he didn't want to be worshiped, but we as humans it's a natural tendency that we have to desire to worship someone. We are worshipful beings. We all worship something, someone, and that's a natural occurrence of Buddhism. And, and Buddha would say now that many have lost their way. Many Buddhists have lost their way because they have now idolized and worshipped him. And there is Animism, animism like Buddhism is, is making a great comeback. It's become more relevant in our culture. Anima, animism is a belief that attributes a soul or a spirit to plants, inanimate objects, uh, animals, and uh, it worships nature and it also worships ancestral spirits. So if you go to tribes, really anywhere, South America, uh, back here with Native Americans in Africa, they all have animistic rituals and tributes. It's, it's a spiritual reality, but it does not identify a single deity. And instead, it, it has different spirits that rule over different places. And uh, then there is Islam. Islam is one of the, grow, the, one of the fastest growing faiths after Christianity, and that is a monotheistic faith. So it believes in the God of Abraham, just like Judaism and Christianity, but they follow the lineage of Ishmael. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. We in uh, Judaism believe that the blessing of God went through Isaac, but Islam then branches through Ishmael. They say that he was the chosen one and the blessing comes through him and thus the following of the five pillars of Islam. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I passed the test. I'm on the narrow road that leads to life. Like we just sang prior. Here are more deceitful, false beliefs, false teachers that can creep into our minds. The first one is individualism. And individualism is hope in self. We 
are our own God. We worship a three-letter word called ego. And did you know that ego is an acronym for edging God out? Individualism says that my hope is in myself and I am fully self-reliant. I am anti any authority that may want to possess me. And then there is hedonism, close related. Hedonism is hope and pleasure in freedom of self-expression. Very common and prevalent in our society. Whatever I feel, I act on that feeling so that it makes me feel good. I'm after anything that brings me pleasure, no matter what it may cost to anybody else. I'm after my own satisfaction. It's good in the short term, but then we pay the price in the long term. Term. And then there is relativism. Relativism is hope in coexistence, no absolute truth. Another word for this is people pleasing. So we just want to please everybody and we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to speak ill or maybe not even speak ill, but disagree with any other faith. And I'll be quoting from the late pastor Tim Keller some this morning. And he says this about relativism. To say there is no absolute truth is an absolute. All people make truth claims. So the only difference is between those who know they do and those who don't. So people say now, well, you just do you all do me. There's a difference between respecting somebody and not being antagonistic and fighting a battle over. Well, the Bible says to being relativistic. We can disagree and still love those that believe differently than we do. And then lastly, there is legalism. And legalism says that there is hope in God, but it's based on personal merit, on what we do versus on what God has done for us. And if I remember a time I was in an airport. I had an awesome conversation with a, with a Muslim, and, and he knew a lot about Christianity. I was very impressed, and we only had a short amount of time, and, and I got to share the gospel with him, which was really encouraging to me, at least, and, and I got to pray with him, which was really exciting. But, but ever since that conversation, I've replayed that uh, a circumstance many times in my mind, and, and, and I wish that I could have just said this, I believe in Jesus, not because of any rule or obligation, but because he is a person. I follow a person, not just rules, obligations, ways, unlike all those other things, all those other things want something from you more than they want something for you. And Jesus wants something for you before he wants anything from you. That is the biggest difference. And Jesus is calling out legalism in John chapter 10, which is where I want to dive in now and, and, and see what Jesus says, because he makes it about following him as a person versus following all of these rules, which again, we equate to this narrow way. Oh, I have to, I have to, I have to. I hope this morning that that have to in your heart and in your mind turns into I get to. 
Jesus is calling out these false teachers. They're called the Pharisees of the day. They're angry at Jesus because he did something awesome. He healed a man born blind, and they're upset not only because he did something that they couldn't do, it hit their ego, but also that he did it on the Sabbath. He broke a rule. And so Jesus is calling them out as false teachers, false shepherds. And in verses one through six, he he talks about a, a door and sheep coming into a fold. See, back then, sheep and shepherd imagery was very, very common. There were many shepherds. A lot of people had sheep. They would have their their very modest homes, a one uh, room home. And then right outside, they would pile up these rocks. And then there was this narrow opening that would be the door right by their house where, where they would keep the sheep in the fold. And so Jesus then says this in verse seven, truly, truly. And anytime We see or read a repetition in scripture. That means pay attention. It's like in our modern day when we start a phrase with honestly, you know, it's not like we're lying every other time. We don't say honestly, but we're saying honestly because we really are about to say something deep, you know, honestly, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, meaning all the false teachers that led people astray versus leading people to God. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Here's our verse. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In the 1800s, there was this conversation. This man had a conversation with a shepherd and he saw that narrow way, that narrow door and opening. And, and, and he said, Hey, there's no hinges. There's no door. How do you keep the sheep from exiting? How do you keep the sheep from uh, even coming inside when you don't want them to? And he said this, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out, but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd that lies down. I am the student worker, student pastor that lies by the door at the lock-in so that boys don't mingle with girls. If they come, they have to come through me. But then he alludes to other people sneaking around and going over this pile of rocks, or other times it can be a little trench. And he says that these deceptive teachers can sometimes find our way in our minds and in our hearts. And we have to beware that they came to what? To steal and to kill and destroy. Our eyes are focused on Jesus, who is the door. And then in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for The sheep, if I were to replay that conversation that I had with my new friend who 
follows the way of Allah and Islam, I, I would say I, I follow Jesus because he is the door, he is the way, and he is the good shepherd that cares for us. That when other things come and, and threaten us, they will probably, even people, will, will seek their own self, uh, their best will first. But my God is willing to lay down his life for me because he cares for me. He is a person. He is the good shepherd. In times of trouble, you know who your real friends are, right? It's those that draw near. When you make mistakes, it's those that forgive you, those that have patience for you and say, hey, I know who you really are. You're imperfect just like me. It's okay to make mistakes. I'm going to hang there with you. Why? Because I care for you. That's the heart of the shepherd. He cares for us. Is it narrow? Yes. But he deeply cares for us. It's like at the beginning of our Bibles in the second book called Exodus in chapter two, we read the heart of the shepherd, God's heart in a time when people are in trouble. They're in slavery. They enjoyed plentiful when Joseph was in charge and brings his whole family to Egypt and they're having a great time. They're provided for, they have food, but then 400 years go past and they actually threaten the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians enslave them. And it says in verse 25 of chapter two, that God saw them and God knew, meaning God knew their suffering. God knew their trouble. And so that's why God acted. He sent his messenger Moses to deliver people. And by the way, remember how were they delivered? It was through a narrow road when the seas parted, the people of God went through and were delivered from Pharaoh. And you would think God knew them, God delivered, God cared for them. Hallelujah. They lived happily ever after. That's not how the story ends. What happened? The human heart got in the way. They, uh, Moses took too long up there on the mountain. And what did the people do? Hey, that God who delivered us, he must not be who he says he is. Let's idolize now this golden calf that humans made by human hand. We will now bow down and, and sacrifice to this man made God. He will take care of us. What was Moses doing in the mountain? He was taking his time, writing every rule and regulation that wasn't an entrance requirement to salvation. God had already acted. They were already saved. It was keeping the sheep in the fold by saying, watch out with this and watch out with that. This doesn't want the best for you. That will lead you to destruction. Watch out the gifts that we have in God's rules and regulations are not restrictions, but they're boundaries. It's like the boundary that separates me from the gold, from the, from the German shepherd that I run by in my running route. The German shepherd, as soon as he sees me, he's running after me. And it's not because he's happy. He sees me as a threat for some reason. I don't know what he sees, but he sees me as a threat. And thank God for the boundary called the invisible fence. And I just pray, I don't know if those things run on batteries, but every time I see that German shepherd run at me, my eyes glance down and I look for a rock or a stick just in case that boundary is set so that the German shepherd 
uh, does not harm me, but also so that if the German shepherd were to cross that boundary, I would not hurt it. Those boundaries are there to help us not hurt us. They're there to protect it. And so when you think about the narrow way, God, I, man, you're asking me not to do this. My friends are, are doing this, but I know in my heart and, and my parents are saying, or my grandma is teaching me, or, or pastor this is saying this, it is to help you not to hurt you. Those boundaries are a gift because he cares for you and he knows you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, we read that he lays down his life for his sheep. That is the heart of our good shepherd. The third point is this. In verse 16, we read, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And how does he bring them? They listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Sheep get a bad rap at church in sermons many times. Sheep are dumb. Don't be like sheep or you are like a sheep. You need a da-da-da-da-da. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Be like a sheep in this way. The sheep can't do much. But the one thing that they know and can do is respond to the voice of the shepherd. God calls for us. And he says, hey, come. When you are far away, while we were still sinners, he said, hey, hey, come. It is this kindness that is bringing us back to repentance. Our flesh and legalism and other things think it's shame. Oh, do this because of guilt and this or that. No, 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 no. He says, come back to me. You were lost, but now you are found. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. In the Old Testament, there were bad shepherds that were very legalistic. And it says this in Ezekiel 34, he contrasts bad shepherds to the one true good shepherd, which is Jesus, the prophesied Messiah. In verse 12, Ezekiel says, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their land. I will pastor them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in the settlements in the land. And then in verse 15, these beautiful verses where he says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That is who our God is. He gathers us. Last, in verse 17, again we read, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Third time we read this now. That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. We follow a person. His name is Jesus. He is our good shepherd who cares for us, who knows us, who calls for us and who paid for us. 
two weeks I was sitting at a restaurant and one of you paid for my bill. And I remember going to the cash register with my credit card and they said, it's already been paid. And two feelings, the first was I didn't deserve that. That was my debt to pay. That was my meal that I ate. I should have paid that, but then quickly, I had a lot of gratitude for the act of grace and kindness from one of you. How much greater should we thank our God who knows every sin that we have committed and will commit, and yet he, and yet he said, I paid it in full. I laid down my life and don't miss it. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. He wanted to go to the cross, to that empty or that tomb that later was empty. But for those three days, that body laid in darkness like that cave at Enchanted Rock, alone, narrow. But on that third day, that tomb was no longer held that body. That tomb broke out and is still living and his heart is still beating to this day. And all of us who call upon the name of Jesus now have a way to the Father. So my hope this morning is that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would hear where he may be saying, hey, hey, follow me, trust me. This is best for you. He is our good shepherd. All of this, I believe, compelled the Apostle Paul to write these words in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says this in verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We are to honor God by the way that we live because of what he did for us, not in order to gain his love for us. He wants more for us than he wants from us. Can we receive that gift this morning, fresh and anew before we head out this morning? If you're willing and able, please stand with me as we close with a word of prayer. God, there is nothing that we could do to earn our way to you. And because of that, your love broke through heaven to come to earth, to live a perfect life through your son, Jesus, so that he can be the perfect sacrifice that our sin deserved, so that you, the creator, and we, the created, could be together again. And we say thank you. Thank you for bringing us back to the Father. And I want to give anyone an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. If you have not called Jesus your Savior, the Lord of your life, and you are ready to do that this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that he rose again from the dead, we will be saved. And so if you'd like, repeat these words after me. Jesus, this morning I surrender and give you my life because you gave me yours. I thank you for the cross, the pain.
paid for all my sin and for your resurrection that has granted me everlasting life. I choose and commit to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And as we close in worship, I want to encourage, if that's you, come pray with somebody. Come ask for help. Do not walk this life alone. And maybe there is something for the rest of us that that God is calling us to lay down. Maybe it's a a false teaching, or, or maybe we just need to come back to the narrow road. I want to encourage you. We call this the altar. Feel free to come kneel and lay that down before the Lord or come and pray with someone. They are excited to pray with you as we close in worship. Let's do that together. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.